The Classically Black podcast shows listeners the world of classical music through the eyes of Delaney and Katie, two black classical musicians on the rise looking to share their perspectives with a new and interesting twist. The Classically Black podcast recently celebrated its fifth anniversary. What better way to celebrate than by launching merch? Featuring original artwork, the nine-piece merch collection includes t-shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more. You can take a look and make your purchases at classicallyblackpodcast.com slash store. And this is Triloquy. Welcome back. I know I said that I had planned to offer a Thanksgiving opus last week, but a few things collided that prevented me from doing so. So I'll speak to that at the tail end of today's show. But shout out to all of the returning listeners, all 200,000 of you as of this month. I really, really appreciate all of the support. Uh, If you're new to the club, Triloquy is a podcast built to decolonize the idea of classical music through dialogue. Each week I bring in a story from the field or from the world in general that I think does a good job of showcasing an equitable path forward. I feature interviews and conversations with people who are shifting things for the arts in their own ways. And I close things out by offering a triloquy. That's me coming to the mic and giving y'all something true and real to chew on. For more information on triloquy, to catch past opuses and to donate, visit Triloquy.org, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y dot O-R-G. As I mentioned, I'm going to talk about my holiday break and some of the realizations that prevented me from putting something together. Longtime listeners know that this show is very consistent, even over holidays, so it was a big deal for me to take a week off, but I'll be getting into that later. I'm really excited to bring Jonathan Gibbs back to the show to talk about our recent experiences engaging the arts in a black way, two very different black engagements of so-called classical music, uh, and that's coming up shortly. But for right now, I wanted to honor the life and work of a man named Daisaku Ikeda. Uh, But to do that, I have to go through a bit of a story. So I hope that you'll hang with me here. So most of y'all know that I practice Nichiren Buddhism. Uh, So Nichiren Daishonin was a 13th century monk who vowed to become the wisest person in all of Japan. So to do that, he dedicated his life to studying the teachings or the sutras of uh, Siddhartha Gautama. This is a person who you probably simply know as the Buddha, but uh, we think of him as Siddhartha Gautama or even Shakyamuni uh, Buddha. You'll hear that as well. So after reading, reciting, memorizing and fully taking in all of the Buddha's teachings, uh, Nichiren Daishonin discovered that the greatest and most expedient of those teachings is encapsulated in the Lotus Sutra. So maybe you've heard of the Kama Sutra or like uh, there's the Diamond Sutra, the Heart Sutra. Well, Nichiren discovered that everything that you need is really in the Lotus Sutra. That's why you hear uh, us chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. That's the title of the Lotus Sutra. Anyway, um, the Nichiren School of Buddhism, after this realization, uh, continued through the centuries, starting with uh, a man named Nikko Shonen, who you know passed the practice down and down. Um, and then World War II happened in the early 20th century. This is when Japan was forcing everyone to take on uh, what they call the Shinto talisman. So uh, it was a sign of nationalistic sort of dedication and pro-war pride. It's really fascist if, if 
you want to get down to it. Um, and that was the expectation for everyone, including people who were practicing uh, Buddhism, priests and all. Uh, well, one man named Sunasaburo Makaguchi refused to take on this fascist way of thinking and engaging uh, spirituality. Um, so he and his primary disciple were sent to prison for that. Makaguchi ended up dying in prison, uh, but his disciple, a man named Jose Toda, um, he survived and was released uh, from prison after World War II ended. So Toda made a vow uh, to spread peace throughout all of Japan by teaching people the power of Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. Um, and the person who took up the charge to spread the practice around the world beyond Japan was his primary disciple, a man named Daisaku Ikeda. So it's because of Ikeda that I and about three million other Americans chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo every day and dedicate our lives to value creation and peace. Uh, Ikeda died earlier this month at age 95, but he left behind countless books and writings and all sorts of stuff if you're interested in learning more um, about his life and the uh, Nichiren Buddhist practice. What I value most about uh, Ikeda-sensei, as we refer to him, is how much he was dedicated dedicated to dialogue. He traveled the world speaking with people, uh, including Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela. He has a book with Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock that I really recommend. It's called um, uh, Reaching Beyond. Uh, and he also met with uh, and engaged dialogues and collaborations with all sorts of government leaders, you know, uh, Gorbachev and, you know, uh, folks over in China who were leading the way. Anyway, he, he was extremely, extremely um, prolific. Now, I'm sharing all of this because dialogue is what I value most out of my life. That's why I love doing this show, because I get to showcase and practice this art of dialogue. Um, and with all of that said, Jonathan Gibbs, you know, is someone who I have a lot of gratitude for because he's the person who got me into this business of engaging dialogue as a form of media. Shout out to uh, Education, our, our very first project over 10 years ago. Um, so it's always good to uh, get him back into the mix here on Triloquy, especially considering his proximity to the arts um, and uh, the, the choral perspective that he brings. You know, I, I typically bring an orchestral or instrumental perspective, but um, as a chorister, he brings uh, an even different perspective, which I think is uh, really valuable. So in our talk uh, this week, uh, we dive into the differences between engaging traditional classical music, so-called traditional classical music in black spaces. We talk about engaging new classical music in traditional spaces as it relates to my recent trip to the Met uh, to see the Malcolm X opera. And, you know, we talk about several other things, laughing and giggling and kikiing along the way, as friends do. So I hope you enjoy. We're going to listen to a little bit of Anthony Davis's Life and Times of Malcolm X uh, to try transition us into this dialogue, since that's one of the uh, major points of conversation. So hope y'all enjoy. This is Loki Karuna and uh, Jonathan Gibbs in dialogue. The performance of the uh, this excerpt from Malcolm X brought to you by the Boston Modern Orchestra Project. especially now that I'm very actively looking for things to do and I'm going for like quantity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the lowest price on a lot of stuff. However, in the past, you know, if it is very specifically a Filipino thing or if it is very specifically this black thing, 
then I'm going to do like $100 and up. But also, I love my video game music. So yeah. for my video game music, you know, the rule is like this only comes around every so often. I'm spending one ninety five, two hundred if I need to. If it's like an opera, like what was that one? Fire shut up in my bones. Mm-hmm. Every, and you know that goes towards marketing the way that people were talking about it. This is like, I, what 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 accolade was this? Was it a premiere? It was the first time. Uh, that was, it wasn't the premiere of that, but it was the first time a black opera was performed there. So the I paid over a hundred years. I paid like four hundred dollars for a ticket. Oh, oh, you went and saw it. I yeah, didn't know I saw that. that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, you did. All right, I guess because I forgot I told, that you had I text you about the shout music part. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> the classical shout music part. <laughs> because what I told people was that under certain circumstances and with a certain audience, you'd have to cut the lights up. You would have to stop the show for a minute because I'm not just going to sit there and watch y'all praise. My my feet are responding as well. You know? <laughs> well, I wasn't responding to that. Like, if we can just get into that real quick. It was very much a classical music oh of course i was like so are they depicting it wasn't season and then that made me wonder (laughs) like okay so if this is what they're depicting about something that i know innately then what what else have they been lying to me about for other cultures and and what else have we been getting wrong you know that we doing that other cultures are more tapped into and they like oh no see that ain't blessed or they they the entirety of of turando like first of all (laughs) Come on. <laughs> $400 for the Fire Shut Up it was, Bones yes. ticket. So I will pay. So all that to say, I will pay. Like, it's it's a balance of, like, exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I see your show notes, like, black people do be having money and they will spend it on what they want. And mm-hmm. so I will spend on, uh, I wouldn't say exclusive. Like, it was a good seat. Yeah. Number one. For that price, it was a good seat. But. For me personally, as someone who is black, Filipino slash Asian American, um, I'm I'm definitely putting more into those things just mm-hmm. any day, right? Um, versus like the Rockettes. Right. Like if I'm I'm not I'm never gonna pay two hundred, a hundred dollars for the Rockettes, I'll find it on sale. <laughs> or on YouTube. Or I just will not go that year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's hard for me to think about what my limit is because, for fire, for example, for Fire Shut Up On My Bones, it was more than just the ticket. It was, at that time, the plane ticket, you know, the hotel, oh, right. all of that stuff. But it was such a historic moment. You know, I wanted to be there. As far as Malcolm X is concerned, I went back and forth, back and forth. But when I saw that there were actually tickets available for opening night still, I was like, they're oh, going to be a lot of all those famous people. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be folks there. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be an event. So let me do it. I what spent, did you wear? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I dress see any African pictures link. for you. There. Oh, oh, we got me and Del have a Getty Images picture. Like, <gasps> we, like, what? They, like they saw us coming up the stairs and, and that photographer was like, oh, there go Loki. Let me get a picture. Yeah. So, um, it's a Getty Images oh my on, on the internet. African Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all kind of folks there. Uh, Nas, Lupita Nyong'o, um, uh, Al Sharpton, Cornell West, who running for president. We, we got to talk about that at some point. Uh, he's, I'm on his email list. <laughs> oh, come just on. to get the updates. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of you know famous um, white Broadway people. You know, I don't I don't know everybody's name. I'm the worst person to know um, uh, an actor's name. But anyway, it was an event, and I knew it was going to be an event. So that's a part of what I was paying for. Uh, I guess full disclosure, since you're talking about ticket prices, we were on the third balcony. 
and uh, there were tickets for 150 each. So, you know, I spent a total of 300 for our tickets. But then, of course, when uh, you get there and get there early, I'd be wanting to have a little drink There's and, you know, bar. stand and be cute. $50 for two drinks, you know, like $25. They and and I guess really we we can go ahead and get into it and talk Speak about it because in. when it comes to institutions, big or small, putting on things that they know or hope will bring in black audiences, mm. I get Here torn between okay, we're supporting a black thing, black performers, but also you are milking money out of me toward what end for the Met. I was like, I'm at the end of the day, I don't care if it's this. Is, well, I do care that it's a, a Malcolm X opera and I loved it. You know, great. Um, I love the composition, the aesthetic, the performances. But at the end of the day, I'm giving money to an institution that got 100, 200, 300 million dollars in the endowment. I, I don't know the, the exact figures, but something like that. Um, but you know, you were talking about the uh, the performance you went to. It uh, was the Abyssinian Baptist. Yeah, yes, um, in Harlem. But they in there playing and performing Mendelssohn. So you are giving your money to a black institution yes. to support black people. Yes, but it's funding the same old white music, though. Yes. So uh, do you feel no dissonance there? In, I feel in your... plenty of dis like the whole reason. <laughs> but you know what? But Elijah, the oratorio that I went to go see, the Mendelssohn oratorio was something that uh there's a piece there are a few pieces from elijah that high school choirs and college choirs do just as standalones like mm -hmm. finales or whatever and so i had done one of those um and when i was a voice student i did um one of the pieces from elijah like it is enough um and then and then shall your light is the choral one at the very end that a lot of people use yeah so i was like okay well i want to see this live i've always listened to recordings i've seen youtube videos um, I think it's Robert Shaw that had the end of then, like the very extra, um, extra enunciations on. Are continents. you super familiar with Robert Shaw's legacy? And, and I'm not saying it's some tea, but I'm I'm just is asking. Is it some tea? Because not, no, not I'm not. I'm not very. I'm not. Oh, no, I'm, I only asked because I didn't know anything about him. And, and I, I said Robert Shaw. Hold on, before we go down this pathway, uh -huh. I don't really be knowing these people <laughs> like this. Okay. So that was the first name that came to. Wasn't he like? Didn't he have a choir in Atlanta? Yeah, he worked. Okay, with so the, this he person was, he yes. was a music director of Atlanta Symphony. Went all up in Spellman and stuff. Okay, getting him. them yes. involved. In, I, I didn't know anything about him. Like my friend Caesar put me on to him, but for you to be a choral person oh uh, of course yeah, yeah I, heard I his didn't name all over the place him. yeah and i'm also so side note i am obsessed with was it 1992 whatever year it was 94 92 whatever, whenever the olympics summer olympics mm -hmm. were in atlanta that yep. entire opening ceremony wow I need to go if back you're listening and look to at this, that. Go back. It is black as hell. Oh, is uh, it is I don't blackness? Know, I don't, oh, I don't. First know of that. all, Atlanta is in the south, of course. And then, like the way that they showed the world, the United States in that one, hmm. blackness. Oh, I need to go back. Black and see. Americanness. Oh, the story wow. of the slaves. Afro America. <laughs> Afro America in the mid nineties. <laughs> so that, but like, so that's why I'm like wondering, what are they going to do for LA 28? Because that's hmm. a very Hispanic time now and they might do like and i'm not saying that to shade hispanic people of course, i'm just saying of course. like you know maybe we're gonna view america from a different way because they're gonna be like we already did the 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 foundational history maybe they'll go more indigenous anyway that's a yeah. whole <laughs> i mean but but when i asked you if you had any dissonance paying money for i know, didn't the, personally the, well when you said well elijah i thought you were going with the bible but see in the bible elijah when he was dealing with dissonance he didn't you know <laughs> never mind but the piece is called elijah <laughs> is what yes. you're saying the piece is called elijah and it is about elijah from the bible okay <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Amen. If Amen. anything, black people culturally appropriated Elijah from the Bible to make it sound like such a black name. I mean, and let's talk about the whole Bible. We we are really let's chasing talk, if the we're going to talk about the, the, high, the, path, the Bible. But, let's talk about the whole Bible. But but listen, like I don't know if you've heard or seen. And I was images. joking about cultural appropriation of black people. Let's no, just but so I, I don't get canceled. Well, no, but I'm saying that black people we do take those Bible stories and make them ours. I don't know if you saw the uh, images of the real we life or uh, something with Prince of Egypt that they doing or is going to Broadway or something. I mean, that's just the live action version of Prince of Egypt, but which I'm, was at the West End. But I'm saying that is very much a like a, of a story of Hebrews, like something that Jewish people, you know, are really, uh, you know, mark as part of their cultural heritage. But movies like, uh, excuse me, movies like Prince of Egypt, that's as black as it is anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we didn't took over yeah, that story. Movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because but, but like also I the, shade, the, shade but also the historical story, though, like you know the you know the Hebrews leaving Egypt, you know the slaves escaping, the... canceled for multiple <laughs> reasons now because what I, because the the around the time that this is being recorded, there's a whole well for 40, 50, however many we, years they know, there's been an ongoing know. conflict. Yeah. However, one of the things that I've been hearing, and I have not, let me just preface this by saying I have not done the research to know anything about anything. Okay, mm-hmm. but the one of the points that people are making is like well during the exodus days those were black people and i'm like where are they i don't know like i have no idea so you I mean, can correct me at me at jonasan j-o-n-a-h-s-a-h-n let me know the truth but like were these black people being exiled well, because that's what that uh basketball player i think his name was Kyrie, was saying and got him canceled talking about oh how, i how can I be anti i can't be Since anti-semitic the original as a Jews black person yeah. anyway i'm not getting into that no nope, we're not getting into it we're just saying what we had heard okay <laughs> but anyway elijah Elijah. By Mendelssohn, performed by black people at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. Yes. How did you hear about the performance? Because one of the things we have to talk about is the way things are marketed. I feel like I don't be hearing about a lot of stuff. And of course, in New York, it's always something going on. I'm trying to get over my fear of missing out because you go miss out on something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be feeling like I want to get on certain mailing lists. Anyway, how did you hear about this? I mean, just, you know, us, we're from Memphis. We're part of that. Like, we are part of that cohort, mm-hmm. whether we're, we're whether we're still in classical music or not yeah with me being a big knot i'm like out there i'm not really doing much right now but you working in an arts institution all like we're all part of this cohort of right. people that when we were in college um is hella black people that became choral conductors classical conductors and now we're approaching our 40s but mm-hmm. like we're just part of the cohort we're in the circle we're on the wave as you once said, we're getting old enough to be corrupt. <laughs> we're old. We're getting old enough to be corrupt. We run the institutions. Mm-hmm. We are the teachers, the professors now. Yeah. Right. And it's wild to think that because I still remember when we were all students. Yeah. So all that being said, I know Malcolm Merriweather, who is a conductor of oh, yeah. the Desoff Choirs. Yeah. Um, and he was the one that was conducting this with, in conjunction with, I think, the Abyssinian Baptist Church Sanctuary Choir and some other, I don't say this shadily, another, a couple of other organizations. It's a combined choir. Yeah. Then I guess the, um, I don't know who the orchestra, I guess it was maybe hired people or something, but Nathaniel Gums, who I know from like, oh, yeah, Mississippi organ Boulevard. Player. Yeah. Uh, organ player. Oh, really? Memphis? I don't know if he's from there, but I know him through Leo Davis. Okay, because I, I know him through See, the Gateway's Music now. Festival. Yeah, we're, we're named Lifting, as Wayne we are named Shorter lifting. used to say. <laughs> so Leo Davis, who's on the, I guess he has had some, He's Mississippi, he was Mississippi Boulevard, which is mega church, black mega church mm-hmm. um, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I used to sing choirs there a lot and did section leading. Anyway, um, just because of all those connections, Facebook was like, hey, look at this ad. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, and that for me, that brings up another question because we're talking about name lifting in organizations and institutions like the Met. If someone says, you know, uh, Yanni Neze Seguin, you know, they're like, oh, I want to go see him conduct. Or we have the man from Los Angeles, speaking of Los Angeles, who's coming to uh, be the music director of the New York Philharmonic, Gustavo Dudamel. Um, so, you know, people are going to go just to see him on the podium. Mm -hmm. Do black people, I mean, we have some of those you know, so-called classical celebrities. You know, I definitely know the name Malcolm J. Merriweather, Nathaniel Gums, all those people. We can get into historically, you know, the the famous opera singers and, you know, Florence Price, Margaret Bonds, all those Lady folks. But, but 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 I'm you, you just have me thinking about whether or not there are black people who uh, you know, we are gonna go buy tickets to see perform anything classical. We just want to go see them. You know, if, they've if built you that have much the finger celebrity. on the pulse like we do, mm -hmm. then you know those names that you just named. Right. Right. And, but if you, and so but those most are the folks people. don't though. Well, what's going well, on? Most black folks don't. Well, but what's going on there? So like, does it only gain legitimacy when the Met does it? I mean, not as far as I'm concerned. But, not as far as but we're as far, concerned, but, but as far as, far as the general, yeah, the yeah. the general public is concerned. Oh, it's a black person. Oh, they're a conductor. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Well, they must be the only one because I've never heard of all. But because they don't have their finger on the pulse. right, right, right. Mm -hmm. So that marketing is very important. Yep, and a lot of people just don't be feeling marketed too. That that's always my thing. Well, they only market to us when they want our dollars. Ooh, and that's a whole another conversation because listen, no, let me tell you because I never told you this, T. <laughs> oh, go ahead. But when Porgy and Bess was at oh, the Met. Okay. <laughs> I, first of all, I heard that the chorus, they didn't put them up. See, now I'm really shit talking. They didn't put them up. They had to figure out their own housing. I heard, and, oh my and this isn't to disparage anyone, but it's just to talk about how I'm hearing black people really you know, aired their grievances about this experience. We can celebrate them being on stage. Well, that's but what happened when they're not on stage? That's very what interesting, kind of support are they getting? That's very interesting because when I was on Facebook ranting about how I'm not trying to pay $400 to see an opera being marketed to me. Mm -hmm. And then um, the only way I would have access to this is, and I know you're going to drag me because I said I paid $400 for fire, shut up in your, I got over it at that point, <laughs> but I'm not trying to pay $400 every time. Right. Is what I'm saying. Because collectively we don't have that kind of money. Number one. So, well, at least I don't. Think I mean, let's do. talk about it. To, but anyway, yeah. why is it that some leadership on the black side mm -hmm. of that equation was coming back at me talking about, well, you know, we need this money to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, y'all are, the Met is, the Met is, it needs this much money from black people. When they say that they, and this was at the height, when was Porgy and Bess at the Met? Like in the height that was of before the Fire Great Shepherd Reckoning? My Bones. Yeah. That was, so that was, so must have been 2020. Probably. So yeah. I guess, I mean, someone fact check us, but. It was at a time when we were all talking about Black Lives Matter and this is why we're putting this black stuff up here and blah, blah, blah. Who, where are the black people at? I mean, not not uh, on, at the top of the score. It ain't a black person's name up there. Not on that one, for sure. <laughs> I mean, but you, uh, you're bringing but up a But it was a, a hell point. of black people performing for whomst. And I feel, and that was a, you know, I, um, I don't know if you know, I was interviewed by uh, Tavis Smiley uh, earlier this year. And that was one of the questions he asked me, and he almost got me together. I, I can't remember what my response, but basically his question was, okay, you telling me about all these black composers, William Grant Steele, da, 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 in the early 20th century, black folks wasn't allowed to go half the places. So you mean to oh. tell me that black people were in the concert hall? Who were oh. they writing this music Who for? Who was it for? It, <laughs> and I mean, and that's, that's a good conversation even for today. And the other part of what I put next to that is we try to treat each other uh 
you know, put ourselves through this capitalist lens that so much of the rest of the field has always existed in. We will charge each other. And by we, I mean, you know, you you go into Abyssinian uh, Baptist Church to hear Mendelssohn. I don't know. I'm sure they did not charge you four hundred dollars. Ninety five dollars. But at the same time, you know, how why, why fifty dollars? Why I'm are sure. we treating each other? like that you know like i don't know i just feel like there needs to be more well people gotta get paid orchestra of course, still costs of money. course and, and, and they had a full orchestra and there's a whole conversation about how black folks we love to say okay well i show thank you when it's time to get paid you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's just the assumption but but anyway i think there has to be a balance there because i, I don't want to be milked dry by uh, a black organization any more than a non-black organization, but I got what I got. And I don't, I, I never want to feel like I can't go support black people because y'all paying or y'all charging more than I can afford. And this is not a flex because I, I don't know, I'm very much working class and I have the privilege of having a little decent, little bit of an income, you know? Um, so I, I feel like if I can't afford the thing, it's a lot of folks, you know, black and otherwise, who can't afford the thing. And I just hate to see black organizations doing that. But Loki, I used to think that way, too, in terms of if I can't afford because, you know, I'm not the richest person, but but there are a lot of the richest people out there. So moving to New York and you just moved to New York this year. I don't know if you've had this realization, but there is still a whole entire population of people, regular, regular people mm-hmm. who live regular lives who make much more than us that oh, can yeah. afford to live in certain neighborhoods on this Manhattan Island w- that we would be like, well, how are you paying $5,000 a month for rent? Okay. Oh, and, 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 and that's regular to them. And my response to that is good for them. I celebrate those black people. Oh so, no, I'm just talking so, about people in general. Oh, well, so, so what is actually, how do I actually need to be marketed to? Because spending $300, what, what is really my cap? You know, if I'm just paying for my ticket alone, you know, I will go up to, let's say, 150 just for just a regular thing. But when I'm talking about $200, $300, th- that's a ticket purchase I have to plan for and, mm-hmm. and budget for. I mean, I can do What's it. What's the most you ever paid for a ticket? And it, like, it does hmm. not, with no stipulation, just period. Probably the fire shut up at my bones. I think that was about 350 Okay, that, I that's was Beyonce the for $800. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Beyonce, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I missed uh, Renaissance because I was traveling so much. I, I, was I was also never... traveling. I went to Japan. I couldn't go to Renaissance. But, but anyway, Mendelssohn, let's get back on track. Okay. What did you think? Okay, so they, they marketed to you. You figured out how to get there. Mm-hmm. It was in Harlem, all that. What did you think of the performance itself? Do you it think great. it was a, a, a good depiction of, of the piece? I mean, I've listened to many recordings. Um, I have been involved in classical music enough to know how to speak about it in terms of what I liked and what I didn't like. And there was not much of anything that I didn't like. I know I know the work from listening to it, performing some of the pieces, um, being a vocal student and having to do some of the pieces for recital. Uh, so, you know, it was great. Uh, there were also some... Uh, Decisions made like on certain courses. I'm setting this up like it's a bad thing, but no, I was blown away. Yeah. Like at the very end, uh, and then Shall Your Light, which I already mentioned, the Amen section. Now, because that particular piece, and go back and listen to it, it's like that particular piece, it's you could see why people would program that as like a closer or like a, just a part of another concert. Mm-hmm. And the orchestra was black too? No, it was okay. like there were black people there, but it was very much a mix of all kinds of people. Okay. Um, but that particular ending piece, like, uh, Meriwether decided on the Amen section to slow it down, like double time, like half the speed. We will slow down a song. 
I don't know if that was him being black or if it was just like an artistic choice, but like it made sense because doing that individually, it would not make sense because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, why, why did they do that? But we just sat through this like three hour work or however long it is. It's yeah. like the amen going really. It's like, oh, we done made it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, so you're saying it was some black seasoning on this Mendelssohn. I, I don't know. I mean, he made that. I've never ever heard that done before. Yeah. On a, a, uh, Mendelssohn or any other k- kind of oratorio yeah. <laughs> where it just slowed down <laughs> like that. It's not. I don't think it's in any of the score directions. I have owned the score before. I could be, but you know, there could be some Stan Mendelssohn Stan out there. Like so, actually, so black seasoning or not, there was some seasoning on it. Yes, there was some. Se- all the soloists were black. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the that. What the crowd looked like? It was uh, diverse. Uh, it was at Abyssinian Baptist Church, so of so course it wasn't a lot of like the members a black were there. crowd, but there it were was black a black crowd here. with sprinkles of all different kinds of people. Oh, I see. And for some reason, all the Asian people decided to crowd around me because I was there first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Because when you I look you safe know, enough, if you know what well, that must have been, it because it's not like I look quote unquote Asian. So, mm-hmm. but they sure did come in front of me, behind me, on the side. I was just like, okay, mm, this is mm, fine. Mm. This, is this validation? Like. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're gonna have that conversation another time on 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 our separate show, right? Um, one of my things, I, I, I do want to talk about Malcolm X a little bit, but you know, when it comes to Mendelssohn, Abyssinian Baptist Church, black musicians featured you in Harlem, it makes me think about this idea of bringing the arts to communities. I'm gonna, you know, we're talking about name lifting. I'm gonna name lift Kwanis Floyd, who is really. Uh, expanded my thinking ar- around a lot of things around um, arts admin, education, uh, community engagement. Anyway, one of her big things that she taught me was that you can't talk about bringing arts to communities because communities have art. They might not mm-hmm. have the art that you got, right? but they have art. So when I'm thinking about that concept, when I think about uh, musical decolonization, cultural colonization, it just seems like we bring in white music let me just go here. White music to black people, to black communities. For what purpose? What is what is the goal? And this is not a read of Malcolm J. Merriweather or nobody, but I just can't help but to ask that question. What is the end goal of putting Mendelssohn in those communities as opposed to uh there's, there's there's an oratorio by uh, Nathaniel Depp that everybody has been for the ordering of Moses, you know, like that there could have been those things. You got Margaret Bonds is a uh, ballad of the Brown King. It's all kind of black stuff to be celebrated in those spaces. It I, I can't help but the question of all the black things to put in a black community space. Why Mendelssohn? Why, why so, are we doing that? My first response, just my gut response. And it's not like Meriwether and I are just best of friends or even like we're Facebook friends. He, he, he brilliant. Yeah, you know, he's I, great. I, I feature his music on this show. Like, I so make I just, it but I want to say like, he is probably the number one person in New York city and probably the Northeast and probably, I don't know, yeah, maybe the yeah, United States. Yeah, probably the country, uh, the, the world. Let's give him all his flowers. No, I, but I want to say this. He's probably the number one person What's the word? Not name dropping. Name lifting. Mm-hmm. Margaret Bonds. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like oh, they yeah. just did a recording of yeah Sanctuary oh, Road or something. I like, don't know if that's Margaret Bonds, but anyway, a yeah. lot of Margaret Bonds has been coming out of the Desoff Choirs, mm-hmm. which he is the head, like the artistic director for. So just putting that out there. Now, the answer to your question is dependent on how you are approaching the the quote unquote 
white music in mm. question, right? Are we so let's go back to that cohort. When we were in undergrad, mm-hmm. you always saw people coming from places, very black places. I grew up in Mississippi. So I saw a lot of people, and it was also conditioned into us by our elders that classical music, quote unquote, was the the better. Like it was the it, basic in so few words, I don't want to draw this out. You're you're taming the savages. Exactly. Like you And that gospel music. That's when that you can hollering. sweat and jump and untuck your shirt and do flips and, now, and all and, that. And some of us, some of us in this cohort that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, so now you're mad. <laughs> I, right, because you heard how I said that. Some of us really took that that kind of guidance and just went full on. I don't want to say a bad word. So <laughs> go, ahead, not, go ahead. Go ahead. Basically, we some of us became some self-hating ass people. Mm. I, that's the censored version. Yeah. Okay. And then those people become adults. Then they get into their churches and they're bringing music to the community. Right. And then it's got to be Handel's Messiah every Christmas. Every, every black church, especially these Caribbean churches out here. No shade to the Caribbean, but these Caribbean, they love them some damn... Handles Messiah. I'm singing one <laughs> on the second. Oh, not you singing slave music. <laughs> I am singing that slave dra- traders music for a friend from Memphis who is a conductor up here for his church, his church choir with a full orchestra. And that's this, coming up this holiday season. It's like next week or like next weekend, like the fourth. <sighs> and this is the thing. I but, and go- that is multiplied across many of these churches across Brooklyn and uh this place called New York City, and and I want to go. So I would love to sit in the choir and hear you. Uh, sit in the choir. It's another. Sit, sit it's in another, the audience and and hear you talk about and he shall purify and all that. Like I want to celebrate black people. I'm rooting for I everybody black. The... I feel like these institutions, what they're leveraging is the fact that most black people. Oh, see, we cooking. Uh, I might get in trouble. I feel like. Most black people don't understand a lot of the history of these composers. Certainly not handle. They don't That's care number about one. that. And well, number, but but number the ones two, in question don't care. About but that. number two, we aren't often given space to really think about this Western European music as an iteration of white supremacy culture continuing to codify a space. What space? Classical music, so-called classical music. We just have normalized. I'm not, not talking about our stories. I'm one hundred thousand percent, but I didn't finish what I was oh, saying. Oh, go ahead. So, but I'm, but I'm glad you said that because look, I'm pointing my finger in your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into this. Um, so yes, yes. I went to Japan and I went to a listening cafe. Mm-hmm. So they also played some Mendelssohn. They also played some Tchaikovsky. Uh, 1812 overture yeah. with the cannons and yep. all that. And it's high fidelity, all this. And it got me to thinking, because I was like, I'm in this country with all these Japanese people and even they and all across Asia, it's like you got to learn how to play piano, violin. And I this sounds like generalizing, but I'm just saying like they play Ode to Joy every spring. Like this is classical music even has a presence there. And so it goes into your talk of like white supremacy and why are they the center the white quote-unquote white music is the center because can you name five japanese composers right now you nope, went all the way cannot, over there no nope, and, and i'm sure the japanese people overture. cannot uh list black <laughs> composers so like we need to get to a place where white music 
quote unquote so the european because i love it mm-hmm. i love i like the theory i like the sure that we learned about it and like i like applying the theory and hearing the the basis like going from this to that and the plagal cadence right. and all this like getting to know those rules but i need to know about uh more than 12 tones in an octave right i need to know about all that i need to know about strange rhythm and it's not strange just other rhythms yeah Right. So I need to hear somebody doing a run on stage every now and again. Exactly. I need to feel empowered as an audience member to people, say, you better sing, girl. I you better do it. I need people where that clap in between movements. <laughs> and I need saying. people who don't need a damn rehearsal score when we change something up and act like they're just goddamn lost. <laughs> I'll see now. So now <laughs> you're talking about somebody now. <laughs> I'm talking about. Fucking, yes, I'm talking about a lot anyway, of people. So it was. So the Mendelssohn was performed well. Yes. It was all that. How did you feel like the audience was reacting to it? Did it did, did well? First of all, I, I guess I should ask. Did it feel like this was like a class, a so called classical music? Audience? Oh yeah, it was. Oh, okay. It was very much that. So I so mean, so through this classical music culture, we have even stratified blackness so that there are folks who understand and you know are are, are oh, yeah, into so, that yeah, music and all of that. And, between, yeah. like you know all that, the rules were being applied. Like they were not being applied. People just followed the rules, mm-hmm. right? Um. So yeah. Um. But that's that's. That that's those people that like that thing, and yeah. it goes back to again the cohort where like some people were raised to think like, oh, this is the better music, and this other stuff right. is not. And then there are people like me and you, and in between, who um appreciate everything for what it is. I just feel like I have so much, and I'll say it, trauma around this whole classical music industry. It's just hard for me to spend. I don't know if I could spend ninety five dollars to go see Mendelssohn. I don't if it's all black. That's going to be a challenge for me, and that's just where I am. And but like I was saying earlier, I'm these, not a part of the, that other group, just, by the way. Right, I know, <laughs> but but I'm just saying I, we really have to talk about the fact that these institutions leverage the fact that there are still so many black people out here thinking of it as a so-called elevated experience. Like I, I've, I've ranted about this on Triloquy before. There's somebody very a black man, very well respected in the field, who just really upset me when we were talking about the Metropolitan Opera and, you know, ticket prices, dressed up, come as you are. And he was pushing back on those ideas, saying black people deserve elevated experiences as well. And that was sort of the dissonance I was feeling when I went to the Met to go see Malcolm X, because, of course, I'm taking advantage of the opportunity to, you know, look like a a Wakandan prince and all that, you know, got my Getty image. But I'm also thinking about the fact that what if a black person just wanted to walk up in here in sneakers and a T-shirt that let, let's say a Malcolm X T-shirt so that's or me. something, you know, I think in that's sweats. I think that's also perfectly fine. But it's, sometimes I don't know, I, I get bit in between. OK, am I like perpetuating white supremacy culture in a black way or am I actually shifting something up or playing a role in uh, shifting ecosystem status quo by simply being here and supporting this thing. And 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 that, you know, the subject matter of Malcolm X specifically, uh, I, I think is how I justify spending that money and giving that money to that institution. Because even to this day, you have plenty of folks who are not black, some who are black, who just shit on his legacy and call him a reverse racist and all this stuff. So for the Met to put themselves out there to put his story on stage, I was like, well, I better go support it because there's going to be a whole bunch of folks who are not going to support it. Well, is it a sanitized version? I don't know. Is I, it? I'm asking as since you saw it. I mean, if, if anyone is the bad guy <laughs> in this opera, I would say it's Elijah Muhammad. Um, 
with the, and you know if y'all don't know the history of all that nation of islam go look it up but what i will say is that because it was such a black forward production as an audience member i definitely felt a way when a white character got on stage so you know when uh, anytime the police was even present on stage i felt like something was happening when um like a, when a white person would come onto the stage and they were a journalist or someone covering malcolm x you i think the point was to think from Malcolm's perspective of this person as not having good intentions. So, you know, I, I, th I thought the production was great. I, I loved everything about it. I, I have no critiques um, uh, about the production. I guess what I'm talking about is the space that that's in. Like I, I would have no dissonance with going to pay, you know, $500 to see it up here at the Shabazz Center or somewhere that I know is like a historically black institution. Every one of these dollars is going to employ, helping um, employ a black person and all of that. So uh, for, for me, you know, again, I, I think this is an interesting dialogue because we're talking about your experience, a black space with so-called white music. And then with Malcolm X, a white space, certainly a historically white space with black music, aesthetically black music when it comes to the subject matter. What what is the space between those things? You know, because we have the black spaces and the black music. I mean, the go space, to any the, church the, the, on Sunday. Hold on. The, the interchangeable space is the audience. Yeah. Hmm. And that's why it goes back to who is this for? But see, and but, then but, why? But do, you, but do you hear what I'm saying, though, when it comes to where, no, what I'm the resources are going toward? That, that's okay, what so I can't where's help the to resources think about. going to then? Like, for the I mean, Malcolm for, X Opera, for, for me, I gave, Met, right? I gave money to that institution. You gave money right. to the Met, right? Unless, unless they tell you like this money is going somewhere else. No, it's going to them. It, it's going to the Met. Okay, you know, and and, and that's that's sort of where I get my feelings. So well, I mean, this yeah. is capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and because what is it in in Get Out? He was like, "Black is in again." <laughs> so like, now they know that some of us have this money. That was one of me and Dale's first dates, by the way. Get Going out. to see that movie. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> that, okay. That's another podcast. Yes, Go it ahead. is. Um, <laughs> but uh, the money is going to the Met, and then the, the money, I guess, for Desoff choirs. You know, it's probably going to the orchestra. I don't know if they paid Abyssinian. I I, I don't know, but like. Seems like I think you you said at the beginning like the Met has millions of dollars in, right already. Mm -hmm. so of course, they need more um, because I think so-called classical music is becoming less popular, and yep. that's why we have these kinds of productions to try to tap into. They like other dang. Communities. Well, let, well, let's get the ninjas in here. Let's right, get let's, they money let's, to help. Let's see what happens if we do this. <laughs> All the while. <laughs> Shading, this is going somewhere. Go ahead. Shading video game music, because I did my, mention Final Fantasy concerts, mm -hmm. with stuff like Tar, where you haven't watched it. That and I still have I, not seen. You have not watched <laughs> it, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, because I don't feel like you'll ever watch it, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But the whole point of that is, she get the whole point of the movie is she's canceled and is relegated to conducting a video game symphony orchestra. And and she just feels like that's below her. The and the all whole that. premise is that that's below mm -hmm. her standing as a classical musician. So I guess what we're talking about is institutions are trying to maintain this highbrow. But narrative those video games are people. selling out the, the of course, venues. Of course, Carnegie Hall 
is getting sold out. I mean, one of the most profound performance experiences I ever had back in Memphis at the Orpheum, we did a, a, a Zelda, a Symphony of the Goddess concert. It was packed. I mean, the audience was into it the whole, I, I have so many stories that I could tell about that, but that's I, what I imagine what the audience being into and falling out and stuff. That's what I imagine classical music was like, but like 500 years ago, <laughs> right? Because they didn't have shit else to do. So the, the, the ode to joy made somebody shout. I mean, didn't the king stand up during the hallelujah chorus and then that yeah, became a whole so. thing? Like, yeah. So. Yep. so I guess really the fork in the road that we're talking about is do we support and I, no, no, no. And the fork in the road. The, the point here is that the institutions are going to market to who they think has the money, right? No matter what while, color that money look, while what, not, know, all not, that. not name lifting mm-hmm. the thing in question, right? Or doing it performatively. So they're definitely not going to do it for the video game music, mm-hmm. but for us, the black folks, they're going to pretend like they care about it. But what do they actually want? Why are they even doing this? It's been what. I don't know how how they've been around a hundred years. Over a hundred years, yeah. There was there were so why are they just doing it right people now? People when they built that institution, there were enslaved people when they built that thing. Why are we just now doing it in twenty twenty and beyond? I'm, that's a rhetorical question because we <sighs> know course. that the Great Reckoning came and that people are like, are we just doing right now or like, do they really care? Well, then why are the damn tickets four hundred dollars? If you really care about black people and wanting to center them, right. This is that why... is not to say. I'm sorry to cut you Go off ahead. on your own show. Go ahead. That is not to say that there are. <laughs> People, come on, black people who (laughs) Amarosa, thank you for coming to my show. (laughs) I hope Wendy Williams gets all right. Anyway, um, no, 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 but I just want to say, yeah, this is not to say there are not black people who make the money to, of course, get $400 tickets. I'm not saying that, of course, just want to put that so that nobody's coming back at me and saying, right, but see, but you think all black people are poor? No, of course, of course, but. What I'm saying, based on the point that you're making about why they market to different communities, for me, the fork in the road is, do I support the black art or do I support the black institution? Because if I had this um, uh, 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 Mendelssohn's Elijah next to Malcolm X, it's same night, same time, let's pretend it's the same price. How do I choose to spend my money? I feel like that's at where- At the black institution. That, even so, that means, but at the black institution, I'm over there perpetuating white culture and classical music. You know, so it's sometimes I feel like it's no in those in that circumstance. I'm damned if I do, and I'm damned if I don't. Well, I'm, I'm perpetuating a culture, or I'm perpetuating an institution that has played a role in perpetuating that culture. You see what I'm saying? This, I mean, yes, and the, but this seems like a very specific. I don't know. There's a reason I didn't tell you. <laughs> that I was going to this. That's why you didn't say nothing. Right, because <laughs> I knew that, like, you're not like this. I wouldn't I know spend all about you I'm gonna tell you that right now. So-called classical. I know all about you and so-called classical. This whole platform. I know that. So when you tweeted, responded to the X post, mm-hmm. not tweets anymore. The X post. Yeah. You were like, you gotta let us know when now you're in our neighborhood. I was like, I know, but I know that you also wouldn't come to this. We'd have met you afterwards. But see that <laughs> no, but see, and, and that's the thing. And I'm and I'm still learning and growing and and evolving. Like I said, I've repeated on this show so so much. I'm rooting for everybody black who's rooting for everybody black. Okay. So if those people are performing Mendelssohn, you need to get Malcolm I, over I, here. I, I, I support that. You need that, to get Malcolm over here. That's great. But at the same time, I just want us always to be thinking about what we're perpetuating. There's so much black music that's getting sidelined so that we can go see black people performing Mendelssohn. And that's the question my problem. Is why. The question is why. Because We have been taught that this is the rules. These are the music theory rules. These are the people who were masters at it, the greats, 
right? Masterworks, just the greats, all this and stuff. See, and we need to talk about that word, masterworks. Look, <laughs> this I, is the works some for tea, the master. There's some tea out of Arkansas <laughs> that I'm not going to say on, on this recording, but there was someone who brought that up to a white colleague about masterworks. Mm-hmm. So this is this thing is... I just thought it meant you mastered the subject personally as a black person <laughs> because I've got called a master of video games and stuff growing up and things like this. Because so. we don't say master bedroom anymore. We say primary bedroom. Oh, you haven't heard that? I didn't know that. <laughs> uh-huh. But is it surrounding slavery? Like, I think I, so. We're just saying it straight up like the master's bedroom. Okay, because it's the biggest bedroom where the master lives. Lo- but also master. But do you think that master work? Applies to a slave owner <laughs> a lot creating of, classical a lot of music. Or, a lot of orchestras say their subscription series instead of their masterwork series, and I don't. I don't think why? It's, why? Because well, masters were the only ones. Well, buying I don't think it's necessarily tied to like the master and the slave as much as it, we, we shouldn't call Beethoven a masterwork and the video game concert something else. Like as oh. if, you know. So I think it's more about that. But I think there's a a thread to pull about the master's music and calling that a masterwork. Right. You know, we need to get into it. We could. <laughs> So, so but, anyway, yeah, yeah, but but um, but the uh, one of the last things I wanted to you know tap into, we went everywhere in this conversation, but the respectability politics of unpacking these things. So I've I've been in you know this business of of talking what I talk on these microphones for a, a while now, but there but there are a you know thank, thanks to you back in thank the education, you. <laughs> thank you, telling um, me you've been in these streets, but. I don't know. There is a feeling about me talking about a Met production that's different than me talking about the Abyssinian Baptist Church production. Now, I'm I'm working on my decolonization. So if I'm going to rag on anybody, I'm going to rag on the non-black institution first. But you can't deny that there are people who would feel a way about, you know, digging into the respectability politics and all of the things of a Met performance, but wouldn't have any problem getting on X or Facebook, Instagram, saying whatever they want to about the Abyssinian uh, Baptist Church Choir or, or anything like that, tagging them, doing all of that stuff. They don't all, and by they, I'm just saying people, people don't always feel that empowerment to really speak out against, you know, what these large historical white institute, predominantly white institutions That's are That's interesting. Who are these people? Because I'm always dragging the Met. <laughs> but see, you Anytime also, something black comes out at the Met, the, I'm always re-Xing or whatever we reposting. But you Why are, are these the, tickets $400? But you are in the biz. Like, you aren't somebody who is ever going to apply for a job right, in their I development to, department right, or something like that. find my ex post and be like, so what about this? Because I'm applying to a Met <laughs> position. You at the you at the job interview and they turn around their computer. So I was on your, <laughs> and I've had that conversation a lot in my life, um, in the professional space about something that I didn't posted or something that I didn't. Anyway, I I don't want to get off track. Um, I mean, I feel like this is on track, but I, I guess what my point is is that you you can't deny that being a part of you know I talk about this phrase classical training. You know, black people who have classical training. I feel like a part of that training is at the end of the day to give these uh, traditional historical institutions more of the benefit of the doubt, maybe even more of our protection than we do our own institutions. You know, a famous opera singer, insert name of famous black opera singer. I'm thinking somebody in my head, I'm not going to say her name out out loud. There are so (laughs) many folks like in, in that caliber who would never 
speak ill against the Met, the New York Phil, the Philadelphia Orchestra, all of these places. But, you know, might feel a little bit more comfortable saying that, oh, the black folks over at such and such church or such and such institution, you know, wasn't quite organized or the quality. And maybe I'm projecting. No, I don't even think I'm projecting because I don't I don't think like that. But based on my lived experience, I feel like that there's more uh, more room that we have to grow to openly critiquing these institutions to make them better. It's not just dragging them for the sake of dragging them. I'm sure once upon a time, somewhere in in the offices at the Met, somebody said, y'all ain't got no black music up in here, you know, which led to something, which led to something. And then we got fire shut up in my bones. There were, there was some conversation that initiated that. I guess what I'm saying is that we need to be more empowered to have more of those conversations about more of our institutions so that, you know, somebody can hear the seed is planted and there's some change that's happening. I'm going to say, after all of that, I agree with you, and it makes me think. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I know any tea about this person, and maybe it's already out there, and I just oh, this don't. this person. And I don't know <laughs> that this person has said this. Okay. But I feel like I followed her enough in my own musical journey, and during my musical journey since undergrad, hearing about her. I'd always been told one story that she was a menace, that she was awful, that they, they striked because of her and they finally kicked her out of the opera world. Oh, you're talking about Kathy Battle. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you know, I've performed with her. I know. Go ahead. Because you told me about how she pushed that man off the piano. <laughs> but after we, I've become... You know, we've come to this point of our lives and mm -hmm. critiquing so-called classical music. I'm wondering how much of that was true. And I'm wondering how much of it was a black woman that was exceptional in a white space in the 90s slash late 80s. But think about the horrors. You know, we okay, so we talk about Kathy Battle, that's fine. Think about the horrors that some of these non-black opera singers must have, have been, been doing. On. She was another black one of them. Fine. Door doormen, makeup artists, you know, all music directors. But why can so. she exactly? So why could all those people divas through this history of diva dumb? Ex, that, I just made that word up. <laughs> Diva history exists, but then it was a problem when Kathleen Battle came along. Because black folks need to know their place exactly. in our institutions and our, you sing in our white music, you in our white opera house, you singing along with our white orchestra conducted by this white music director, so you better know your fucking place. That, that's, that's what I feel like is really behind it. You're right. Mm, 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 mm. So okay. we're saying the same thing. <laughs> okay, we've been talking for a little bit here. So as See, we we done said this we, is gonna be a quick one. As and we wrap it, up. <laughs> and then it ended up being <laughs> So once again, you know, Jonathan and I, we're you know develop developing our um our project that's gonna well, you know, twenty early twenty twenty four. I'm I'm seeing yeah, at, at this point. But in, anyway, you know, as we continue to have these conversations about decolonizing classical music, really putting forward our true opinions and perspectives on these dialogues. I want to get back to that previous question. Do you think it's more important to support the black music, to support the music that's deconstructing the status quo, or to support the black institution, giving the money directly to the black people, even if they are going along with that musical status quo of these historical European composers? Why is it such a binary question? You're what right. About, You're right. But what about black institutions that do black music music well i feel like we support them that's just support 
basic that's like right. 101 right. understanding like that, that, that's a so, given okay, that so okay so this is your them. theoretical like right. if, if this is the case but let's then go there where do you go but let's go there who are the black people what are the black institutions putting forward a black uh perspective a black lens of classical music because oh, yes we have music, because yes say, we have Universal the gateways Circus, music festival tyler you know. perry plays um, <laughs> oh that's true that's true and and what do we do with tyler perry but, but you drag know, him but look you know it, what do we do we with do drag him but, drag but we it. drag him with love <laughs> oh, okay <yeah. laughs> because we do know that the people that tyler perry talks about do exist mm -hmm. okay it's just he does that a lot but then he started making scary movies and he also started making like dramas and stuff and not the best but like but he's still doing it and Child, I, mean, I turned on BET one time. I said, let me uh, try out one of these Tyler Perry shows. I watched about 10 seconds of it because I cut it on it and is. a black woman was getting waterboarded by a white <laughs> man. I'm like, see, this is why. <laughs> I don't know what the storyline was, but I'm not looking at that. But, you know. But, but wait, hold on. So these white. OK, going back to your binary question. <laughs> yeah. Um, these white institutions that do this black music is the music is the work by black people. Yeah, like Malcolm X is by Ex Anthony Davis. Yes, yeah, yes, he was but, on but Porgy and Bess is not. Right, exactly. So, but since we're becoming blacker, um, it's still a white institution doing a work about black people mm -hmm. by black people. I'm thinking about, I don't, Shonda Rhimes. So, Scandal. Yep. And, and How to Get Away with Murder. That's a white, ABC is not right. a black institution. It's not BET. Right. But we, but it's Shonda Rhimes who is black. And that's what I'm saying. I think that's where some of the nuance is because even with these, like at the Met, you have, a, a, there was a black director, you know, who uh, who who did the staging. Um, shout out to uh, Kazim. You know, there was a black conductor for this one. They, uh, because of the composition had a lot of like jazz and blues and stuff. I did notice that there were more black faces down there in the pit than typical. So I guess there is this are- progress? Is, for you i think so and i'm not asking that yeah, um I, he I hesitate because i guess i i can say 50 years ago we did five, course, five right. years ago, five ago yeah. we, we didn't see this so uh, do you I, expect I guess the white institutions some. to just hand over the keys to the building like right and i'm only asking i guess this. i don't expect them to but you know we can hope <laughs> or, or we can we can push you know yeah and is that the end goal or do you want just a more diverse and equitable landscape i mean for me the end 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 goal is for us to stop stacking again stop stratifying music again, where white in is this the standard way. right where where a white composer um white orchestra in a season of mostly white music you know because we we have to expand it beyond just single experiences i want people to see that and question that because imagine if the uh, metropolitan opera for one season, and um, shout out to Scott, because he used to talk about this a lot. Imagine if some orchestra opera house did an all-black season. You know, however many operas they put on for a season, every one of them is by a black composer. Let's even expand that. Every one of them is by either uh, uh, any historically marginalized composer in classical music. Right. So a, a black composer, a woman composer, a composer who's alive. They dedicated a whole season to that. There would be a lot of questions. There would be a lot of think pieces. There would mm -hmm. be a lot of accusations. A accusations of, of wokeness of why but we don't ask any questions when, when these all orchestras right. all across the seas uh, all across the country have an all-white thing so th that that's where i'm working toward just to get people to think and and critique in that way so that we can have that more diverse season i think it would be great for there to be a season of the metropolitan opera where they have something black you know something by a woman some that you know they're doing their very first spanish language opera ever 
Mm -hmm. uh, I think next week is starting, you know. And if you need to throw Carmen in there, or if you just need to throw a Mozart opera in there, or whatever, right? So that, in other fine. words, there's a place for a white people, a but, white person, a white people right. in there. But but we aren't even to the point to where we, we can, think it's weird, we, right? For for there to be just an where all the white thing pieces something. aren't just come out and right. then like, but whiteness is always the center and it's and not I, questioned. And I feel like a contributor to that again is black institutions that perpetuate that status quo. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure the Mendelssohn, I'm sure Elijah was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Is that pushing forward this dialogue? I don't think so. No, it's not. I, I agree. I don't think so either. And again, I think it's because we are trained literally, Ooh. literally mm -hmm. trained. Again, classical training. We are literally trained to believe that this is how it is. That this is the standard and this is, quote, good. This is professional. This is classically trained. This is an elevated experience. This is masterful. This shows that you have... Like, I, I, I remember reading about this very recently because of the fact that I was looking at how Asian people like class, classical music. And, you know, it's an Eastern... Um, it's an Eastern... There are Eastern, Eastern people who are very much removed from whiteness, at least in, you would expect to be, because mm -hmm. it's not like they were enslaved by them or anything like that, but still view it as like, wow, this is amazing music. Like, let's let's get into this. Yeah. And like, it was explained to me by some random commenter or person on the internet that I was in dialogue with that like, okay, yes, it is white-centered, but there are still things that you have to technically learn to be a virtuoso. Like, not to be, like, you're born a virtuoso, but like, to be able to technically accomplish things on these instruments to make this particular sure. sound, right? And I'm like, you're right, but let's talk about what Loki's talking about. And let's talk about in, Maria Callas in the black church. See, that's a right, virtuosity that she don't have, right? You see, and let's talk about the black people in the black church who have a virtuosity and a, a prodigy within themselves, mm -hmm. being able to do these things that black people have created. Yep. And so once we get past asking or thinking it's weird that like this is not all white is everything all white like <laughs> why is not everything not white like it shouldn't even be a thought there should be a slot for the white people yep and there should be a slot for everybody else and there you go and that's how it's treated and, and that's how it's treated and and then a student can be like hmm, i want to know more about this or i want to know more about this I mean, and that just reminds me, we run along, we finna be done. That reminds me of this build your own table conversation because let, let's let, let's go with the metaphor, we in a lunchroom, okay? Historically, there has been one table in the whole lunchroom and the only folks who are allowed to sit at that table are white, okay? For years, we have people trying to integrate that table. Maybe here and there, a black person is allowed to sit at that table, but at the end of the day, that is still historically what that table is. So folks start building their own tables, you know, so there are more dialogues, more things happening. Now we have a more diverse lunchroom. I'm the type of lunchroom um, uh not participants, uh, what, what word am I looking for? Not client, patron. I'm the type of lunchroom patron. Not a lunchroom patron. <laughs> who just don't like the idea of that table being over there. Like, so even if I have my own table, we over here eating seasoned food, we good, we having great dialogue, and maybe this is where I need to grow. I don't like that that table is over there. So I, I'm not going to not go and shake that table. And I think that's a part of it 
as well. You know, there, there's so many nuances to the conversation. That's a very because, interesting. Because there are so many people who have created spaces in the arts. But why you know? don't you like that table? Because I, I we can't leave it there because now you're going to sound like you just hate white people. No, like, no, no, no. No, it, it's not about that. But I Why think, would you hate their table if you have your own table? Because... If, the, because the, we have to look at all the, the resources his, are at their table. All the resources, and, and we have to look at the table. history of it. We can't just they're allow there to be devaluing your table. There, there can't be something rooted in white supremacy that we just don't check. And I feel like this classical culture is so much, you know, of of you know what it is and what we're used to. We don't think of it in that way. If somebody puts on a, a clan hood, okay, I'm being hyperbolic, and I'm I'm gonna go down. If somebody puts on a clan hood, there's not much argument as as far as that being a problem right you know now let's go let's go down a little bit into blackface if someone is on the internet in blackface we generally think that that is a problem something that we don't need to do unless we're talking about opera so now all of a sudden oh. there is a diversity of thought around you know oh what is blackface the history of blackface well this is actually bronzing and see and that's when that that white supremacist culture of Yellow classical face. music comes in where we we make certain um uh concessions for things that we otherwise would say are completely racist but because this is classical music we don't really you know think of it in in that way so so that's what it is it's not about no and see and i'm and this is interesting that we're talking about the malcolm x opera you talk about i sound like i'm uh, i hate white people mm -hmm. uh <laughs> i i, I th that, that's what i feel like this converse why this conversation is vital because again there are just white clear, you don't hate white people of course not there are white supremacist norms that we accept just because they exist in classical music and the and the way that classical training happens and the way our, our schooling and all and the status quo is we don't we don't uh shoot that sort of shot at the culture in the same way that we shoot that shot at other things where we normally would and i think even beyond race that applies to who these composers were if uh, most of these european composers if they were alive today and just doing the normal everyday things that they did in their lifetimes when it comes to womanizing when it comes to uh their own uh uh, racisms and all that stuff, they would easily be canceled because we love to cancel people these days. But because they belong to that oeuvre of music, because they belong to that culture, oh, they were a, a person of their time. They, you know, we have to understand that there was some nuance around this. Anyway, my point is, when it comes to that historically white lunch table, there are there are uh, status quo that are codified and maintained and perpetuated unless we keep shaking that table, no matter how many other tables we have built for ourselves and our music and our culture. Question, and I'm asking this not with no intent. Like, I don't know. I really don't know. But Wagner? <laughs> does he not get he, does he not not get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of stuff i dare especially with what's going on over in uh in the middle east right now i dare one of these institutions to put some wagner on see i feel like now that conversation is happening but tragedy has to happen for us to have that conversation you know george floyd had to die for us to have this conversation me and dell have talked about how this could be a an extension of this christian culture how like christian culture requires somebody's life for some, for some good to happen, you know, Jesus died, so so you know, so, so that I could so I could be saved. You know, George Floyd had to die. Brown and Taylor, all of those people. So now we're talking about diversity. There are people over in the Middle East dying right now. So now we can get into the nuance and the 
and, and what we're really putting on stage when we give Wagner a, 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 a get out of jail free card for that evening because his music is so incredible. Karl Orff, we don't talk about his anti-Semitism. Anyway, there's so much that we can dig into if we really start critiquing these uh, these classical systems in the way that I think they need to be critiqued, not only as they apply to historically white institutions, but as they apply to black institutions perpetuating this culture as well. I think that's my thesis statement <laughs> over this dialogue. All right. <laughs> well, anything you're promoting? I mean, you say you perform at Handel's Messiah next week, so. I'm not trying to promote that. I mean, I'm doing it for a friend. <laughs> they need I some help come. in the base section. I might come. Please don't. I, 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 I'll tell you one damn thing. I ain't paying $95 to go see it. It's free. I think it's, <laughs> no, it's a suggested donation of $20, but. Oh, free at, free at last. It's, but listen, it's just, I'm doing it for a friend so it's not even very impressive so no That's the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment with the Edinburgh Festival Chorus there performing Elijah by uh, Felix Mendelssohn, a bit of the finale there. hope you enjoyed that little taste of that uh, <laughs> composition that Jonathan uh, and I talked about and uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation. Shout out to Jonathan once again. Looking forward to adding to the Trillworks Media Library our own show coming up next year in 2024. So keep your ears out for that one. All right. My Triloquy this week it's sort of about control. So, you know, what it means to be in control of your life, what it means to be um, controlled by your life and balancing those two things. Um, you know, my job at ACO has been extremely challenging lately. I won't go into details, but shifting the orchestra field, actually, not just talking about it, but actually shifting the orchestral field is much harder than I thought it'd be, if I'm going to be honest. There are plenty of orchestras that are platforming historical black composers and even ones who are alive. You know, we just got done, me and Jonathan just got done talking about the, uh, the Met Opera um, and Malcolm X. But at the end of the day, you know, most of this, the vast majority of, of what's happened and fits within the same status quo. It's an aesthetic, a practice, and an engagement that still centers the same old way of doing, just with a new face, just with a, a new uh, tint on it. A metaphor that I've come up with to try to describe the way that I see this issue is a bubble. So when you blow up a bubble like you used to when you were a kid, the color of that bubble is not always completely clear. It depends on your position or your perspective. So sometimes, you know, it's kind of purple. Then as the bubble floats and shifts around, you might see some pinks or blues in the bubble. Um, but, it, but at the end of the day, it's still this same bubble, even though it looks a little different. This is how I'm thinking about the orchestral field. We're turning the bubble um, to look different, but I'm interested in popping <laughs> that bubble, you know, just completely getting rid of that status quo and that way of doing that has, you know, created the orchestral field that we have today. And quiet as it's kept, a lot of these orchestras out here are going to pop in the next 10 to 20 years because not everyone has the patron base of a New York Philharmonic or a Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I think about the musicians, you know, more and more musicians are going to have to figure out how to do the side hustle A, side hustle B, C, D, F, Z, you know, because they can't be paid in the way that they need to be paid to sustain their lives because the financial structures um, built from the aesthetic and programming structures of these orchestras is just not able to sustain it. So thinking about those challenges next to all of my radio work that I'm falling behind on, it's been a lot. 
last week I woke up the day before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I, I, I was off, uh, the, my offices were closed, the ACO offices were closed. So I was ready to dive in and catch up with everything else, including putting together an opus of Triloquy. But I was just so stressed out by everything that I've been dealing with uh, in the nine to five. I just couldn't. I decided that I couldn't. I looked out the window and saw a beautiful blue sky and decided that I too deserve a break. You know, everyone else is off work. Why can't I be? This hustle culture that we celebrate, it's not resulting in the system shift that we really need. All it is is resulting in a few people who are able to really make it to the top and a bunch of others who are hustling for the sake of saying that they're hustling. Last week, I decided to put the hustle to the side so that Dell and I could go to the Macy's Day Parade, which was phenomenal. Uh, we went out to Brooklyn to have dinner with my brother and his family. And quite frankly, I just needed a day or two to not think about saving the world from white supremacy that everyone else seems to ignore or just doesn't see as it relates to classical music. I hope that you'll think about how this applies to your life. Are you really taking care of yourself? Or are you being ruled and run by capitalist expectations wrapped up in the packaging of social good or professional advancement or those sorts of things. Our generation has a big responsibility. I think that we need to seriously consider the mental and emotional hole we're, we're digging ourselves into day after day, week after week, month after month. I'm doing that by taking back as much of my life as I can. Again, not allowing my life to control me, especially my emotions and how I feel about my own expectations on things. Uh, taking all of that back, flipping it on his head. And the first step for me in doing that work is to get rid of the guilt of not keeping up with the expectations that I've built for myself. I, I wake up every morning just thinking about everything that I need to get done, everything that I need to do. And it can be overwhelming. And sometimes I can even feel a sense of guilt if I don't get to everything. Um, but that has to go away. We spend so much time looking outward, but we have to look inward. Even within the perspective of Buddhism, the Lotus Sutra teaches that we are all Buddhas. That's the big revelation that the Buddha made in that teaching, that he isn't separate or higher than anyone or anything else. He is us. So think about someone who you praise or someone who you, who you honor beyond yourself. You know, for many Nietzsche and Buddhists these days, it's uh, Daisaku Ikeda, but we all have those people that we really idolize. Think about that person. Okay, are you thinking about them? Now go to the mirror and understand that you are just as worthy and deserve just as much as that person does, especially the rest and the downtime that's required to keep fighting another day. That's what I have this week, and that's what I'm really trying to dive into myself as I balance all of my projects and my work and my overall mission to decolonize classical music here in the United States. I hope that you'll uh, consider that and, and think about how that applies to you. Thanks so much for joining me here. Once again, appreciate you allowing me to tap into my own self-care and self-love as we uh, get closer to this new year, and I will share more with y'all next week. Cheers. Cheers.